Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode contains extensive discussion and some description of sexual violence, so it may not be suitable for all listeners. It's been a little over a year since the Hockey Canada scandal first broke. Hockey Canada is under intense scrutiny for its handling of a group sexual assault allegation in 2018. The details of the alleged sexual assault are disturbing. A woman alleges that in 2018 she was sexually assaulted, including by members of Canada's World Junior Team. In a statement of claim which has not been proven in court, she says she was visibly drunk and while engaging in sexual acts with one hockey player, he allowed seven others to enter the room without her knowledge or consent. She says they brought golf clubs with them, knowing it would further intimidate and frighten her, and alleges they later told her to say she was sober while being video recorded and to shower. And what made this a national scandal is not just the horrifying accusations themselves, but the cover-up that followed. Hockey Canada, the sport's national governing body, had been using a secret slush fund to pay out settlements in sexual assault lawsuits. Hockey Canada revealed today it settled 21 sexual misconduct claims since 1989, totaling close to $9 million in compensation. And the bulk of that has been paid out using that special fund made up in part by registration fees, which Hockey Canada says it will no longer use. And as details about these allegations continue to come out, another similar allegation emerged, this time involving players from the 2003 World Junior Men's Team. And the refrain from leaders in the hockey world has been the same. This sort of conduct must be stopped. Even once is too often. Here's former Hockey Canada CEO Scott Smith answering a question in Parliament from Liberal MP Anthony Housefather. Has Hockey Canada had other allegations of sexual misconduct by players in the last, let's say, 10 years? My understanding is that we... Um... We've had one to two cases on an annual basis over the last five to six years. I apologize, I can't give That's you more details. Really fair. I would tell you that one in the last five to six years, not one to two each year, one in the last five to six years is too many. And that's why we're driven to change the culture in this game. Hockey appears to be in the middle of a reckoning. But this isn't the first time. There was another moment, just like this one, where hockey executives and politicians all said that enough was enough and never again, that sexual violence has no place in hockey. That moment came in the late 1990s. I'm Archie Mann, and this is Commons, and on this episode, we're going to hear from some of the women who were trying to make change back then, and why today's reckoning is really just more of the same. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world, and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they 
don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Like many Canadians, Alexis Peters grew up a hockey fan. And I can remember watching CBC Hockey Night in Canada with my family for sure, Saturday night, Hockey Night in Canada to unite us coast to coast to coast. Growing up as a child, watching that, my dad and my mom both very interested in hockey and the six original teams, if you can imagine. So I, I was a good hockey fan. I loved hockey. But it was when she met Benny, the man who had become her husband, that hockey really became a big part of her life. He was playing for a university team at the time. So I would drive down and watch a lot of university hockey, all the way from Toronto to University of Western Michigan in Kalamazoo to watch, to sit in the stands and watch uh, him play. They got married, and Alexis followed him down to the U.S. as he pursued a career in the East Coast Hockey League, a feeder league for the NHL. Alexis is a registered nurse, and the more time she spent around the teams that her husband was playing on, the more worried she became for the players. I saw a lot of things going on among the teams that absolutely raised concerns for me about these young men, because a lot of them were coming down there at 18, 19, very young, saw a lot of things going on within the culture that as a nurse, I, I had no idea about. There were the players who were forced to play through pain and brutal injuries. There was an enormous amount of drinking. And then there was the way they treated women. Their perspective of what I heard, how they viewed the women who they would call, and I'm putting this in quotes, they would call the groupies or the puck bunnies. There was a, a time when the whole team, well, most of the team players were inundated with herpes, the whole team basically, except for about maybe three players had this break, and they thought that was really cool, you know, at the time. The players tried to hide it, claiming that they got herpes by sharing soap in the locker room. But when girlfriends or wives weren't in earshot, they'd admit that they were all infected because they had sex with the same women, usually at the same time. And Benny admitted, too, that he'd heard those stories, too, that that happened. What would happen is one player would go in and maybe it would be consensual with one player. But they had, a, they had the cues. They had the, you know, oh, wow, look at that. And every now and then there would be a thing. They'd send a message to the next player and then the next player would come in. And the woman had not consented to sex with that player. And then there'd be another signal. And they had it all set up prior to the one individual hockey player having sex, consenting sex, let's call it, perhaps it was, but the rest was not. And then the woman is terrified because all of a sudden, one hockey player becomes two, becomes three, becomes the whole team. Alexis says that her husband was disturbed by what he saw playing on those teams. 
I'm always trying to protect him because he did not buy into the subculture. One of the reasons why he didn't make it to the NHL. He wouldn't go that route. He went on to play hockey in Denmark instead. Alexis decided to go to the University of Western Ontario to pursue her PhD, and she decided to study professional athletes. Are these young men at higher risk of perpetuating sexual assault? And if they are, what is it that's putting them at higher risk? There wasn't much research in that area at the time, and nothing that was specific to hockey. So she decided to ask the players themselves what they believed. I actually went into the locker rooms and gave them surveys, and they answered them. They scored higher on every survey, which in the sexual assault literature, those surveys indicate that you are at higher risk. In other words, you've developed attitudes. That's all. You developed attitudes that possibly put you at higher risk for engaging in non-consenting sex. They came out lower on emotional empathy. So they had less empathy for other people's pain because you get desensitized to pain and learn to suck it up real quick. And as my research showed, if you have no empathy for your own pain, it is easier for you to inflict pain on someone else because you don't even see it as pain. Alexis found a number of factors that contributed to these dangerous attitudes amongst junior hockey players. And near the top of that list is that normalization of pain. One of the problems what happens to the players, they start to normalize pain and abuse. They see it as normal because they're rewarded for it. So then if it's normal for me and I've been rewarded for this, how do I see when it's not normal when I inflict it on somebody out of the sport? And that's a huge problem. And the other thing I'd like to make a huge point on this one, a lot of people think that with moral development, the older the players get, they'll finally come to their moral reasoning as an adult and go, this is not appropriate. I'm not going to engage in this behavior. The research does not suggest that. The research shows, and this is why I get worried about the professional team, the longer you're in that professional subculture at a professional level, the more harm it causes the player and therefore puts you at way harder risk to have mutually respectful, consenting relationships. Her research was groundbreaking, and Alexis was optimistic that it might be received well. But she was wrong. Total resistance. Even from one of my committee members who was a former athlete, did not want to agree, even though my PhD was well-written, incredibly researched, did not want to admit that sport encouraged that triad that I argue. It's one bad apple. That's just boys being boys. That's just women consenting and then lying, making it up. These kinds of things were huge. And it was very much, this is just a woman who wants to trash hockey, trash men, and it's just one bad apple, there's nothing to this. In some ways, it's a little surprising that Alexis's research was so easily dismissed. Because in the late 1990s, hockey was promising to rid itself of the sexual misconduct that appeared to be plaguing it. Laura Robinson has been a sports journalist for more than 30 years. And it was a total uh, coincidence that a gentleman in Saskatchewan just happened to tell me in 1992 
about, uh, he alleged that a girl had been gang raped by members of the Swift Current Broncos and and, uh, that the guys got away with it. And he said, you know, you should go down and do that story. So I did go to Swift Current in January 93. And that was uh, the beginning of uh, many years of investigating junior hockey towns. Swift Current is a small town around 180 kilometers from Moose Jaw. And the Broncos, a WHL team, are easily the biggest attraction in town. And what Laura discovered when she visited the town shocked her. In 1989, a 15-year-old girl alleged that she was raped by two members of the Broncos. The players claimed that the sex was consensual. What happened to the, uh, the girl in Swift Current was extremely brutal. She bled for three days. For those guys to think that that would be consensual and for the community to think that she would consent to that. It's just appalling. The police investigated the incident. They didn't charge either of the two players. Instead, they charged the girl. That girl got out of a very lengthy interrogation, and she didn't have her parents with her, didn't have her lawyer with her, and she was a learning disabled girl. She was going to trial on public mischief charges, not the players for sexual assault. And I mean, how is that even possible? How could they do that to her? What kind of minds are running hockey and swift current where they could do that to any girl? So then I, you know, you have to look at what kind of denial is this town in? During the course of her reporting, one of the people she interviewed was the coach of the Broncos, a man named Graham James. Laura reported from other small towns with junior hockey teams. Almost always the story was the same. A teenage girl accuses members of the hockey team of gang rape. Sometimes charges are laid, sometimes not, but rarely are the players ever convicted. Laura began to report on the violent sexual hazings that many junior hockey players have to endure. And then in 1996, a player went to the police, alleging that Graham James, the coach of the Swift Current Broncos that Laura had spoken to, had sexually abused him and other players on the team for years. Graham James would be convicted twice for his crimes. The scandal was the biggest the hockey world had seen up until that point. But Laura discovered that his abuse had long been an open secret. Everyone knew about Graham James. You know, they used to call the boys, you know, Graham's homos and Graham's bum boys when they played away games. Very homophobic slurs. And uh, not that it Uh, obviously it's not because he was homosexual that he should have been arrested years earlier. It's because he was a sexual assaulter. And he taught those boys how to be sexual assaulters. In my book, I write about the fact that he would pay the guys 50 bucks to bring a girl home to his place. And the guys would be, you know, hiding under the bed in the closet. And then they would videotape a gang rape of the girl. And, uh, you know, I feel that one of the reasons he did that was he had the dirt on the guys, too. So these guys had been sexually assaulted. Not surprisingly, they became victimizers, too. And this whole dirty secret gets kept. After the revelations about Graham James became public, it was revealed that the former head of the WHL, Brian Shaw, had also been abusing players. The CHL, which governs the three major junior hockey leagues, that's the Western Hockey League, the Ontario Hockey League, and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, commissioned a report and promised to stamp out this abuse. 
But outside of bringing in new systems of background checks, some level of sexual harassment training, and the creation of an anonymous tip line, few major structural changes were made. And what certainly wasn't addressed was the broader culture around sex in junior hockey. Because here's what I think we have to understand. All of these things we've been talking about in the last few episodes, the vulnerability of young players, the commoditization of their bodies, sexualized hazing, predation by coaches, and the violence done to women by male hockey players, all of these things are intimately connected. They're part of the same process. In junior hockey, you can have the rights to a male player when he's 14. A boy learns that he can be bought, sold, and traded by the time he's 14. And the reason that people can do that is because of his physical abilities. Some who have incredible skill, they're literally auctioned off. I think they learn the commoditization of their body when they have to put up with and endure attacks on their own body. I think the main reason for hazing is because there is always a woman inside of a man and a man inside of a woman. What has to happen for a hockey player in order to slam into another body or just take his gloves off and pummel another body or have that done to him, he has to rid himself of the so-called feminine. You might think about, what am I doing to this person if you haven't had an initiation? But once you've been initiated, by your senior team members and they've shoved, you know, A353 up your anus and taped you to a hockey stick crucifix, you're going to be in total denial of the fact that you've been sexually assaulted by the people you've looked up to all this time. Your dream place that you really wanted to go to has raped you instead. And in order to stomach what they did to you, you basically have to deny that you're doing it now to a girl or you're doing it to the next guy. And while all of these things are connected, we need to talk about the specific problem that arose in the Hockey Canada scandal, a problem that has plagued hockey for decades and yet few people are willing to name. Gang rape. When we talk about the allegations central to the Hockey Canada scandal, that is what we're talking about. And the number of gang rapes that players of high-level hockey teams have been accused of in the last few decades is frankly staggering. Swift Current Broncos, 1989. Washington Capitals, 1990. Guelph Storm, 1992. Windsor Spitfires, 1995, Saskatoon Blades, 1995, Dallas Stars, 1996, Quinte Hawks, 1995 to 2001, Barry Colts, 2000, Men's World Juniors, 2003, Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, 2012, University of Ottawa Men's Team, 2014, Gatineau Olympique, 2014, and again in 2015, and finally, the Canadian Men's National U-20 team, 2018. This is the reality that no one in the hockey world wants to address head-on. Instead, gang rape is often tossed into the broader category of sexual violence in sports. 
but in order to fix hockey culture, we need to acknowledge the specifics. There's immense sexism within sport, but hockey in and of itself is different. There's a different sexual deviancy between a 45-year-old man who is grooming a 16-year-old girl and you know convincing her that he's in love with her and she's in love with him and these are the clothes she's going to wear today and this is the only food she's allowed to have, which is generally what these coaches did and continue to do to female athletes. That's a particular sexual deviancy, and we can leave it to the experts to tell us more about that. However, it's very different from a team gang rape, where it's predetermined. This is premeditated. It's a team exercise that's all about performing masculinity for each other. This is not about liking sex with women. This is about liking, I would argue, liking sex with men in that the sexual performance is for one another, right? They're all naked together. And I asked one guy once, he was from the Saskatoon Blades, but he was playing actually for an NHL team by the time I found him. And I said, why did you do that to that girl? And he said, well, we're really close and we like to pair off. And I said, you like to pair off with a girl? And he said, no, we like my teammates and I like to pair off together and then get a girl. And I said, well, why don't you get a blow-up doll? Because to me, you hate the female body and you hate women. You want to have sex with the guy. You know, just get a doll and you're not going to destroy a life. And he didn't actually deny that that's what they had done. We have hockey, which is a very homophobic culture, but we have a very homoerotic ritual going on in hockey where the guys bond sexually with each other and it's basically if it's not a rookie player that they're doing this stuff to it's a woman that our girl who they've lured and um she's going to be the prey for the night how did it get there we have to really really examine what male hockey culture is in canada because it hasn't gone away Recall what Justin Davis the former junior hockey player talked about in the fourth episode of this series He said that the sport taught him at a young age that his body is not his own. Through sexualized hazing, he had it drilled into him that his body, all of it, belonged to the team. And that extends out to something as personal and intimate as sex. Your sexuality does not belong to you. There's a reason why group sex is so normalized amongst the teenage boys who play junior hockey. Everything belongs to the team. That extends to girls and women too, who are treated as usable objects for the team's satisfaction, unless, of course, they're girlfriends or wives. And if you look at almost all of the cases of alleged gang rape that I listed off, the defense is almost always the same. Yes, we did have sex with her, but it was entirely consensual. When David Frost was accused of forcing the girlfriends of the players under his sway to participate in threesomes with him, one of the players who testified in his defense said that group sex was a normal part of being a junior hockey player. Quote, it's like a bonding thing with your friends or teammates, unquote. And in some ways, I think the evidence indicates that he's right. It's incredibly normalized amongst this cohort. And here I think it's important to say 
that there's nothing wrong with consensual group sex amongst adults. But if you're a teenage boy, and this is how you're first introduced to sex, it's going to mess with your ideas of your own sexuality and with how you view women, even in that idealized case where everything was consensual. And the truth is that far too often, these are violent, degrading encounters for the girls involved. Many of them are re-traumatized when they see news about hockey. A woman who was only 16 when the CHL team in her community gang raped her, she contacted me. That gang rape, they broke her nose. She needed to be stitched up. She was extremely violated. I won't even say on air what she alleged they did to her. And then two things have happened. First of all, the Humboldt bus crash happened in 2018 when the junior hockey team so many tragically were killed. That brought back for these young women who alleged that a hockey team had gang raped them, that brought back a lot of stuff. She's the first woman who I know about who the Humboldt crash brought back stuff. Then I learned last week about another woman. And then all of these hearings are happening. And I think they're very important that they're happening at the Heritage Committee and Status of Women's Committee. I think it's very important that all of this stuff comes out. But what we haven't even acknowledged is that for the young woman in that hotel room in 2018, there's hundreds across Canada over many decades that have been brutally, brutally gang raped. And no one did anything. If anything, they worked to discredit the female. This is a very dark chapter in Canadian history. I've also been contacted about the amount of Indigenous girls and young women allegedly sexually assaulted by hockey teams. They're often in small towns. And uh, we already know that there's such a greater rate of sexual assault and violence against Indigenous girls and women. Three women contacted me during the Vancouver Olympics when there was so much emphasis on the Canadian men's hockey team, all of them to tell me about alleged sexual assaults by Canadian junior hockey players. We really have scratched only the surface on this. The Hockey Canada scandal continues to unfold. The NHL has completed its investigation and plans to release it sometime this summer. The London police have stated in a court filing that they have reasonable grounds to believe that five players on the team committed sexual assault, though so far, no charges have been laid. And parliamentary committee hearings looking into Hockey Canada are on hold pending the criminal investigation. But Laura Robinson says that the scrutiny needs to extend well beyond Hockey Canada. One of the big, big problems that we have in junior hockey is that all of these guys on the team who were in London in 2018 and the team that was in Halifax in 2003, yeah, they were under Hockey Canada then because they were on the national junior team at the Worlds for a couple of weeks. Well, the rest of their lives, they're in the CHL. And the CHL is a private profit-making organization. They don't answer to anyone except their own brass. And that's where I covered the alleged gang rapes. It's, it was in the CHL, which is a feeder to the NHL. Now, they definitely happen in organizations that are under Hockey Canada's umbrella too. But if you're going to address the rape culture of junior hockey in Canada, you have to address the CHL. 
they were called once to the Heritage Committee. I don't think the Heritage Committee actually understood that 99.9% of <laughs> the time that the national junior men's team play hockey, they play in the CHL. Alexis Peters remembers the disappointment she felt when she heard the Hockey Canada news. I know exactly where I was when that story broke. I was in Ontario at my house in Barrie. The minute I read it, I said, here we go again. This could have been prevented. And I, I was getting very tired of hearing me, bad apples, it's nothing to do with the culture. And I want you to understand something too. I'm probably one of the few people who actually does have a lot of compassion for those young players, which does not mean condoning the behavior. But we've set them up for this. And we go like, oh, not our problem. Well, it was our problem. You can change the people all you want. You can put all the zero tolerance stuff in all you want. Not going to help until you change that subculture. Violence to self, violence to men, violence to other women. It's got to change. When the sexual assault came out, these two charges with group sexual assault, do you want to know what the first thing I said was? If they'd have listened to me 20 years ago, that could have been prevented. You will never convince me of that it couldn't have been. That's your episode of Commons. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. This episode relied on work done by Laura Robinson, Alexis Peters, Rick Westhead in TSN, Grant Robertson, Robin Doolittle, Joe Friesen, Colin Fries, and Susan Krasinski Robertson in The Globe and Mail, Katie Strang, Dan Robson, and Ian Mendez in The Athletic, Steve Simmons in The Toronto Sun, and so many others. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at CommonsPod. You can also email me, arshi at canadaland.com. This episode was produced by me, Noor Azria, and Jordan Cornish. Our managing editor is Annette Ejafor, and our music is by Nathan Burley. You can listen to Commons ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. If you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. As a supporter, you'll get premium access to all of our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. You'll also get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Canada Land merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events, and more than anything else, you'll be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. And you'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Come join us now. Click the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join.